Do you guys know who Kierkegaard is? Danish philosopher. He's one of actually, I have to say he's up there as far as one of my favorite philosophers, um, Kierkegaard. Uh, he tells a parable of a theater where a variety show was proceed- is proceeding. Each show is more fantastic than the last and is applauded by the audience. Suddenly, the manager comes forward. He apologizes for the interruption, but the theater is on fire, and he begs his patrons to leave in an orderly fashion. The audience thinks this is the most amusing turn of the evening and cheer thunderously. The manager again implores him to leave the burning building, and he is again applauded vigorously. At last, he can do no more. The fire raced through the whole building and the fun-loving audience with it. And so, Kierkegaard, and, and so, concluded Kierkegaard, will our, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators. What will the end be like? Well, here the Lord tells us through his prophet Malachi. So let's begin with a word of prayer and we'll get into the word. Lord, we are thankful that you've been so good to us and, and we know that you're going to continue to meet our needs. Lord, uh, may everyone here just feel at home here. May they feel like comfortable here, that your presence is here, Lord. Ultimately, that's what we want, for you to be here among us. Lord, we want to be a faithful church. We want to be a loving church, Lord. Right now, just bless this study. Bless, bless this time. And just open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Malachi chapter 4. And there the word of God says, For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will become ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day I'm preparing, says the Lord of armies. How will that day come? Metaphorically, it's going to come like a like burning, or it's going to come burning like a furnace. Now, the same word for furnace is the same one that describes the furnace Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in in Daniel chapter 3. And if you remember that story, that fire was just so hot that I think even the guards were consumed or they were burnt up. Um, And these furnaces typically were used to mold iron, to melt iron. So they were really hot, really, really hot. And also that same word is used in Psalm 21.9, where it says, You will make them burn like a fiery furnace when you appear. The Lord will engulf them in his wrath, and fire will devour them. So here again is another prophecy that this is, and, and the Lord Jesus also mentioned, this is the way 
things are going to end with fire. A fiery uh, end. Now on that day, God will make all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness, they will become like stubble. So in other words, the wicked here will become worthless burning material. Then, if that weren't enough, the coming day will consume them. Or to put it another way, they will be set on fire. The final result will be that not even the root or the branches will be left. Now, unless you've been living in a bubble, the wicked are all around. You really don't have to look very far to find them. Some of them are at your jobs. Some of them are in your school. Some of them maybe at the family picnic, at the family gatherings. If not, then all you have to do is turn on the news channels, and you'll hear story after story of people doing some really evil things. Just the other day, there was a website article titled, Child Brides in Africa Are Advertised on Facebook and Sold to Old Men. If that's not evil, then I don't know what is. There's a lot of evil out there. And maybe some of you, as a result of that evil, have been personally impacted. Maybe some of you have suffered emotional physical or psychological trauma because something said or something they did. Or maybe you didn't get that promotion or you didn't get that award or you didn't get that acknowledgement that you rightfully deserve because someone less ethical, someone maybe would, that would be considered morally evil or wicked got it instead. And what's your reaction usually when that happens? You want to scream. You want to scream, it isn't fair. It isn't right. You know what? It isn't. It isn't fair and it isn't right. So, what are you supposed to do? Well, first of all, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us this. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. And all you have to do is just go through the Gospels, the story of Jesus, his life, and you'll see that you'll see him exemplifying this for us. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he was persecuted, did he go and beat everybody up? No, he didn't. He lived it. He didn't repay evil for evil, or he didn't retaliate insult for insult. Secondly, ask the Lord to give you the strength to endure hardship. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. This is what the Lord is telling you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I'm holding you with my right hand. I will strengthen you. So yes, he will do that for you if you just hold on to to him. It's hard, I know. 
especially when you're going through something really hard. Someone's hurt you really bad. But that's when you have to hold on. That's when you just have to ask him and get on your knees and just ask, Lord, just give me the strength because I can't do it on my own. Thirdly, and thirdly, surrender that pain and hurt to God and leave vengeance to him. Yes, you're going to want to get back. Yes, you're going to want to get revenge. You want to, you know, you pay back. But this is where we must be wise. This is where restraint comes in. And this is where self, that self-control comes in. And just be like, yeah, no, I got to. Lord said he's going to repay. He's gonna, vengeance is his. And he's going to one day vindicate me. You have to trust in that too. Leave vengeance to him. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to God. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to him, guys and gals. Of course, our flesh wants, want us, is going to want us to take matters into our own hands. But see, what makes us different from unbelievers is that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And with that, he's showing us a better way. James 1.12 says this, blessed, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so now, after he says that, the metaphor changes in verse 2. To the faithful who fear or revere God's name. Whereas the blazing heat will burn the wicked, God promises the faithful that the sun of righteousness will rise, bringing its warm rays of healing in its wings. This metaphorically describes the healing warmth of the sun as a picture of God's comfort in the righteous in the morning portion of the day of the Lord. And like calves released from their stall into the sunlight, they will go out and playfully jump with sheer relief and exuberance that truth has triumphed. For us as believers, it's going to be one of those glorious days where we're just full of joy. It's going to be freedom. It's going to be joy. It's not going to be like the wicked where they're going to be consumed. It's going to be a great moment. Again, it's going to be a moment unlike no other. I mentioned this last week. It is going to be definitely a lot of chaos. But um, it's going to be... This is how... Uh, Micah describes it. Now Spurgeon described it in this way. Understand the figure. The calf in the stall is shut up, tied up, with a halter at night. But when the sun rises, the calf goes forth to the pasture. The young bullock is set free. So So the child of God may be in bondage. The recollection of past sins and present unbelief may halter him up. And keep him in the stall. But when the Lord reveals himself, he is set free. So 
this picture could also be of finally the Lord also revealing himself, revealing himself to you at the moment that it finally makes sense. The gospel finally clicks and you're like, wow, I need a savior. I need Jesus in my life. Because that's what it does feel like too, like just freedom in your life. When you finally surrender your life to Jesus Christ, it's just complete freedom. You're no longer under the bondage of sin. And all you want to do is just jump around, leap with joy that you have a Savior, that you're saved now. So not only will God heal the faithful on that day, He will finally vindicate the righteous. After having seen the prosper and the, and the suffering they had to endure because of them, the faithful and obedient will trample the wicked as if they were ashes under the soles of their feet. Now, one of the other things I want you to notice about these three verses is that it's, that it's on the day, that on the day of the Lord, it's going to be an either-or situation, meaning there won't be, without exception, there will only be two types of people, the wicked and the righteous. There won't be any in-between. There isn't going to be any gray. It's going to be black and white. You're going to have the righteous and the wicked. And who will you be? It says there, again, for the wicked, the day will come like a burning furnace and, and make them stubble. And for the righteous, the sun will rise with healing wing, wings. For the wicked, the day of the Lord will consume them. And the righteous, that day will be a day of joy and freedom. On the day of the Lord, the wicked will be utterly decimated and wiped out. And the righteous will be victorious. So again, I ask, which are you? Well, as we move on, these last few verses of Malachi, um, a form of fitting conclusion to this book. Unlike other sections, it won't be a back-and-forth dispute. Rather, it contains an exhortation and a promise. So let's pick up in verse 4 and read the last three verses of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. I'm giving you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Malachi's prophecy closes with two addresses, two specific addresses for those who fear God. The first is an exhortation to remember the instruction of Moses. This is a reference to the laws God gave Israel at Mount Sinai, which was to serve as their constitution and law while they awaited or while they waited or for the coming of the Messiah. However, how the law was to be followed changed after the arrival, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, there are a few reasons why God wanted them to remember, or God wanted them to remember these instructions 
that God gave Moses. First of all, the law of Moses served as God's rule for life for the Jews. And if they obeyed it, the Lord would bless them. Secondly, by remembering and applying the statutes and ordinances, it would keep them from being guided for, by human wisdom, ambition, or societal expectations. And thirdly, God's prophetic voice, this is an important one, God's prophetic voice will be, would be silent for, for some 400 years until the arrival of John the Baptist. Now, although Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, and in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that as Christians, we're not under the law, he also says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What this means is that even though we're not under the law, we still practice the righteousness of the law through the power of God's Spirit who's living in us. The Holy Spirit guides and teaches us about the importance and significance of the law through the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, just as Malachi charged his hearers to remember the laws of God, the church has also been commanded to remember. Now, a good example of this is communion, which we'll be taking in a bit. We'll be taking soon. So keep this in mind as, as, um, when we do start taking communion. Firstly, when instituting communion or the Eucharist, Jesus indicates that the bread symbolizes his body and the wine, his blood. When he said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't mean to think, of, uh, to think about the old times. He meant it as a commitment to action. He meant it as, do this. Don't forget to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Not, oh, just think about those good old times I was living with you guys know it was a command. Secondly, Jews today remember not only the covenant blessings of God, but also Elijah in their celebration of the Passover. In a similar way, Christian communion is also a covenant meal linked chronologically and theologically to the Passover. The meal is a reminder of the great sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. And also that in eating, we make a covenant commitment to God, sacrificially offering ourselves in obedience to his expressed wishes, promising to fulfill our own work. 
when we do this? We join Israel in saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. You see, remembering without responding is actually forgetting. Remembering without responding is actually forgetting. And thirdly, remembering also has eschatological, or that's a big fancy word for end times, ramifications. It directs us, first of all, to the initial close relationship between God and humanity, or that relationship that was established in creation and the subsequent separation between God and humanity because of the rebellion and disobedience that happened in the garden. The rest of Scripture is a reminder of how God made provision to restore the original relationship, first through the superintendence of the law of Moses and through the fulfilling of that law by Jesus Christ. So, so if you guys understood, that means the Old Testament showed us the law and that it needs to be fulfilled. Well, in the New Testament, we read that Jesus completely filled or uh, completed the law. He was able to fulfill it, fulfill all of it. This, direct, this directs one's attention to the coming day when creation will be restored. All of us. All of us believers, it's going to be like it was meant to be. We're going to be restored in a new heaven and a new earth where human divine relationship is bridged not because of what we did, but because of what he did for us and where the fractured human relationship will also be restored with a familial type love, a pure agape love, and harmony with one another. True peace, harmony, instead of the hate, the murder, the evil, the wickedness that we see in this world. Can you guys imagine that? A day where there is no more murder, where there is no more hatred, there is no discrimination, where we just see each other as God sees us and just, we just love each other completely. I mean, I can't, it's hard to, to fathom because my flesh, my mind, my heart is just so used to sin. It's so used to the wickedness, seeing the wickedness. But, but since I became a Christian, I understand. I get it. Maybe I get a glimpse of it. I mean, I, I, I have more love towards people than I used to. At one time, I remember, the, I, just, I used to think it would just be better if everyone died. But it wasn't until Jesus Christ came into my life that I started, man, that love just came into my heart. And I just started caring for people. Even the ones that, even the difficult ones, there is that love there. And I can't, like I said, I just can't imagine. Um, it's hard to imagine a day where we're just completely just loving each other. Not in a weird way, but just pure love. Just a pure love. Now, having looked back at what, um, at what was commanded, the book then closes with a second address consisting 
of a two-verse promise. God promises, promises this, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will send the prophet Elijah. Now, previously in chapter 3, verse 1, Malachi had foretold the coming of my messenger to prepare the way for, for the Messiah. Here now, he explicitly named as, or he specifically named as Elijah. Now, many have suggested that perhaps he'll be one of the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. The other, it's believed, is going to be Moses. Now, for those of you who may not know, Elijah never died, technically. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, that a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared. Then Elijah went up to heaven into a whirlwind. So it could make sense that he may return to be one of those two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. If you've never read it, read it. It's pretty interesting. But that's the main theory. That's what I believe, too. It could, it could be Elijah. Some say it could be Enoch, because he never died either. But a lot of people say it definitely will be Moses. I, I don't know. I believe that even before that time, we'll all true believers will be raptured. We'll be up in heaven. People staying behind are the ones that didn't believe that come to know Jesus as a result of the rapture or during the rapture. But that's going to be a terrible time. And I don't recommend waiting because it's just going to be full of persecution. If you think it's rough being a Christian now, that that seven-year period is going to, it's going to be unlike any other persecution you've ever felt before. And either you're going to live for him or you're going to die for him but either way, it's not going to be easy. Right now, we live in a country where you can worship him, you can follow him, you can go out to the street, proclaim his name, you can talk, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder. You can go to your schools and talk about him. Um, we have that freedom of speech right now. But can you, again, let me ask you to use your imagination, imagine a day where your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, someone snitches on you and tells the government or tells whoever's in charge, hey, that person's a Christian, you go after them, and they come knocking at your door and arrest you. Is that possible? Yeah. It's possible. They've done it before to a certain group of people. So, again, I don't... If you're waiting, oh, I'll, I'll wait until the rapture and see if it really happens and then I'll become a Christian. Yeah, by then it might be too late. So again, it may be possible that God will either send Elijah back to the earth on this special errand or, says, or send someone else empowered in the spirit and office of Elijah. Regardless of who it is, Elijah himself or someone else like him Verse 6 says that when he arrives, he's going to bring about reform and revival in the lives of the people, meaning the Jews. And every a, a new revival will take place, basically making them like their godly forefathers. Now this verse is also quoted in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
There Jesus describes a time of reconciliation when the disobedient will accept the wisdom of the righteous and when our forefathers and their children will no longer live live self-serving lives but, but will regard one another with compassion and respect. Otherwise, he says at the end of verse 6, I will come and strike the land with a curse. There are various prophetic passages in the Old Testament and New Testament that in the later days, the Jewish people will accept, will finally accept, and will finally believe that Jesus is the Messiah and will be reconciled to their God. That repentance will cause God not to strike the land with a curse, but instead, according to 35, or Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2, rejuvenate it. You see, even though right now the Jews reject the Messiah or reject that Jesus is the Messiah, God's faithful love for Israel is unchanging. He still loves them. He still considers them his own people. Even though right now at this moment, they don't believe or they reject that Jesus is the Messiah. Speaking of the Jews, Paul said this in Romans chapter 11, verse 28. Regarding the gospel, there are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Now, likewise, his love for all who trust in Jesus is immutable. You guys know what immutable means? It also means never changing. It'll always be the same. He loves you unconditionally. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will come to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God who urged Israel through his prophet Malachi to live faithfully in light of that love calls his people to do the same, even as we wait the return of the Messiah. So as I begin to close this message, as we've seen God used Malachi to deliver a strong message to the religious leaders of that day and also to the everyday people at that time. However, it's also a message to us, for those of us who are leaders, or for those of us who want to be leaders one day. It's a message for us, and it's also a message for the church, for all of you sitting in those chairs, all of you watching this message Respect the holiness of God. Give to God what rightfully belongs to Him. And what belongs to Him? Everything. Honesty in giving to God. Honoring your marriages. God's judgment of the wicked. And a future promise of complete restoration. Ladies and gentlemen, the day of the Lord is coming soon, and you need to be ready. If there is no relationship right now, if you can honestly say to yourself, 
I'm not ready. And I want to be. If there, if God is touching your heart right now and you're starting to really understand that He has a special purpose for you and that He cares for you, that He loves you, that He sent Jesus to die for you, to forgive you of your sins, open the door to your heart. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe in Him. And just walk in obedience. If you've never done that, if you've never opened the door to your heart, if you've never accepted Jesus and you're ready now, wherever you're at, just close your head, close your eyes and bow your heads. And with all your heart, pray this. God, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and I've blown it. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my for all of those sins I committed. And I accept them now into my heart. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit so that I may walk with you, Lord. So that I may see the world through your eyes. Shape me, mold me, Lord, into the person who I was truly created to be. Help me to fall in love with you more and more. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to go through this book, Lord, the book of Malachi. Thank you for the wisdom found in it, the words you gave to your prophet. Although those words were written thousands and thousands of years ago to a nation that had grown, whose hearts had, have, had grown far from you, had grown cold. As we read it now, we understand that there's a message for us as well, Lord. To be mindful of our own hearts. And that it can grow just as easily cold we don't hold on to you. If we don't seek you out. If we disobey you, Lord. So I ask anybody here that's struggling with that, Lord, that you strengthen them. You be with them, Lord. You show them. Again, just the living in the world for the world, Lord, it's not worth it. Living for the flesh, it's not worth it, Lord. Reveal your love to them, Lord, again. So they may, so they may see 
you and, and, and fall completely in love with you, Lord. Bless us next time, Lord. Keep us safe this week. Protect us. May we fall in love even more with you this upcoming week, Lord. I love you. Praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.